Super Talk Mississippi media production. This is Jack Hoffman. For nearly 31 years, Tico Steakhouse has been a staple for fine dining in Jackson, Mississippi. I would like to invite you to come experience our family tradition of our hospitality, sizzling steaks, and healthy poured beverages. East County Lime Road in Ridgeland, 601-956-1030. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Rhino in the Element Well Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday, y'all. We have made it through the week and it has been a rather busy and eventful week. Middays again on the road this past week, Wednesday. Up in Tupelo, your home, Stones Jewelry. Next week, we're on the road again. I believe we're at Mississippi Blood Services off of Lakeland Drive there on in Flowood on Wednesday. I think I got my days right. And then at the Corner Market in Hattiesburg, the hub city of Mississippi, on Friday. Hmm. So a busy remote calendar here for the show during the month of December, and then two more the following week at Carter Jewelry, 21st and 23rd. So, been a bit of a road dog. But you know what? Once those zany legislators, my friends in the legislature like my adjective to describe them, zany, (laughs) they're back under the dome on January the 3rd. Tuesday, January the 3rd, and I think we might have a thing or two to talk about here on the program once they get in there and start making them laws. That is just around the corner. All right, so i got to kick off here, Rhino, with a, a bit of a clarification and, and to some degree an apology, and here's what I mean by that. We really do try to be totally factual here on the program, and information we pass on. And uh, sort of my policy is information that we do share here, I, I don't share it if it's just data, content, that I can access only from a single source. I get nervous about that. I check it out on multiple what I believe to be credible, reputable sources, especially when we're talking about the complexities of economic and tax policy, which I I know we talk about that a lot here. It's kind of a sweet spot and a passion for me personally, and I hope it doesn't bore folks, but it's important information. So one of the things we've talked about related to that 
is this new IRS rule that requires reporting of $600 through the various digital payment apps. Venmo is a popular one, PayPal, Cash App. And so a question came up yesterday about that with respect to the $600 transactions. And I, I wasn't comfortable with my answer there and did some research afterwards. So it, it turns out, more specifically, the rule does not apply to single transactions of $600 and up. That applied to the proposal for such reporting on um, information or transactions flowing through a, a standard commercial checking account. The Cash App's reporting rule requires those companies to provide a, a, essentially a report to the IRS and the individual if they have more than $600 of transactions in a year for goods and services through the various payment networks. So it's a $600 standard. Just wanted to clarify, it's not per transaction. It's over a year. Because you know the question came up yesterday, what if I did like $200 in three separate transactions? And, I, and at that point I said, well, you know, I bet there's some mechanism to check to see uh, how close in time those transactions were, that that would be, it, it essentially means, well, you're just trying to get around the rule here. But so the actual rule is it's $600 over a year. Yeah, you'd have to break up those payments into years. Right, that's correct. So I said yesterday. Which is just not workable. I, that's right. And I said yesterday, I bet there's some rule on the how compressed the time period is. Turns out it's a year. So if you've got more than $600 uh, over a year, over a year in uh, in the in payment and receipt of payment for goods and services as determined by the app you're going to get a report you're going to get a document essentially similar to a 1099 I don't know exactly what it's going to be called or a W2 and the same information is going to be sent up to the IRS and so what that essentially means is the IRS when they get that information they're looking for that to show up on your tax return and they match it up if it doesn't they may or may not come calling, but it essentially it gets flagged as, hey, this doesn't add up. Now, this a rule about uh, in, in existence that requires these companies to report has been around previously. The difference is what the threshold was, and, and it required $20,000. Uh, through more than 200 that's a heck transactions. That's a lot more of a side hustle than 600. Exactly. I totally agree. If you've got a second job that's paying you 20 grand, you probably should be paying taxes on that. No but doubt. If you got a little side hustle and you only make $600 in a year, year. it is asinine to have to pay taxes on that. I agree. Theoretically. Thanks, Biden. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. And again, I, I'm only at this point, I'm just clarifying the rule. I just want to make sure it's understood that uh, misspoke yesterday, apologize for that. So it's not reporting of, of uh, $600 individual transactions. It's a report is produced, required by the IRS, by these cash apps. If you have more than $600 or more of activity 
payment, receipt of payment for goods and services in a year. And that's the key phrase there, goods and services. That's right, goods and services. Which so, there are some of the third-party apps, I don't remember which ones it is, I know Zelle is not even worrying with this. They're going, we don't hold accounts, we're just a facilitator, <laughs> so if, if it's more than 600 that's between you and the IRS, yeah. we're not sending you anything. But I want to say it's either Cash App or Venmo or one of those where you have to opt in to payments for goods and services, the rest of which is just considered changing hands among friends. Yeah, I agree. Which would not trigger the $600 for goods and services. Uh, Exactly. So that's the clarification. Now, uh, Pat Dale from the Delta says that's ridiculous. It really is. Yeah. Um, and so it's a question of, and we, you and I talked about this a bit after the show yesterday, Rhino, is do you really want to pay IRS people and utilize other assets owned by the Treasury, the IRS, uh, of course, the Department of the Treasury? Do you really want to pay taxpayer money to go after people for such a small amount? And the thing about it is, guarantee you, Half the time, you're drilling a dry hole. Everything was legitimate. Or what you're pursuing really doesn't meet the standard. It wasn't taxable income. But And that's the nuance that's lost. And uh, That's how much money they're wasting on all this other crap that they had to get that into the weeds on the other side of the balance sheet. That's absolutely right. Now, that's not to say there is not a situation in this country where lots of income is generated that falls through the cracks and does not get reported and thus does not get taxed. Billions. No doubt about that. Just go to a flea market. Exactly. As an example. But the left, of course, always promotes the narrative. It's those rich people. They're Getting away scot-free, not paying their taxes, and that's completely wrong. They're the ones that are. Because they're the only ones that it would be worth going after. Correct. And they, of course, are engaging the services of licensed practitioners to do that, who, if they engaged in that kind of fraud... Then uh, it's on the practitioner, not the person That's paying. exactly right. So, now, is it true they've got the money to invest in practitioners to minimize their tax liability? Well, of course. Who doesn't? And they, they're the ones that have, typically, the, the complex scenarios that fall into the so-called gray area with respect to taxation as it, as it is. The person out there that's just as an example, you said flea markets. I mean, you can think of lots of other occupations where it's all cash business. And they may or may not report it all. That's just the first place I could think of where you show up and you could make 600 bucks. Yeah. And then boom, tax man. Well, I, I, you think about all the other like, like domestic services that folks pay for, right? Either cash or checks, however, cash apps. And, and you rely on those recipients to report all that because they're not... Even though the IRS would like you to, the the homeowners in that case, domestic services, they're not issuing 1099s to those people. You got to over a certain threshold, but they don't. We're coming right back with J.T. Mitchell, the news director here at Super Talk Mississippi News. Check it out. Let's do this. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. 
Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Well, studio, Super Talk Mississippi, joining us now, J.T. Mitchell, the news director of Super Talk Mississippi News. J.T., what's going on, man? Hey, Gerard, how are you? Good. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. I know. We, you haven't been, been on. on. I've been traveling. Road so much. I know. Yep. Road, I'm the Super Talk road dog, man. Every Friday. I know. Seemingly. <laughs> Next Friday, too. Hey, but you've been doing some good remotes. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, we had a, uh, as always, a really busy week. Yeah. And it all started out with the big yet unfortunate news of Coach Prime leaving Jackson State. Yeah. So that hit last Saturday, and that kind of just started this week as we now know it. Um, so he's been getting things rolling over there. As of now, Deion Sanders will still coach in the Celebration Bowl next Saturday. Have not seen any word um, from higher ups at JSU against that. I think. They're going to let him come back, coach one more game, and get on with it. But he's been hitting the ground running with um, with recruiting and with compiling his new coaching staff. And he actually announced yesterday that he's taking Mississippi Valley State's head coach with him. Oh, wow. To be a safety coach. Hmm. So right now what he's got going on at Colorado is he's got MVSU's uh, Vincent Dancy will join him as safeties coach. Charles Kelly, um, Alabama's associate defensive coordinator, is heading over there to be his D.C. Sean Lewis, Kent State, head coach. If you can hire a head coach, a successful one at that, to be your offensive coordinator, you're doing a pretty good job. And you know, one thing about uh, Coach Prime is he knows how to surround himself with the best. Yep. And so it is terrible that he's leaving Jackson State. Um, I've enjoyed covering him, covering him and what he's done for JSU the last three years. But I think he'll be successful wherever he goes. Any leads on a replacement at Jackson State? Well, you know, um, originally there was a lot of advocates for uh, Dancy, who Coach Sanders is taking yeah. with him, yeah. to, re- to go from Valley to Jackson State. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Coach Sanders told the players in his uh, last meeting with them, said, look, I think it should be T.C. Taylor, who's an assistant, um, and I think we should keep it in-house. Let's keep this thing rolling, even though I'm not here. Let's give it to somebody else. And he's expressed that to the athletics director, but at the end of the day, it's the athletics director decision. Mm. It's not Dion's decision to choose who's going to take his place. And, you know, there have also been some uh, some ideas out of left field, like bringing in another celebrity, somebody who might not have the same level of coaching background, but Knows a lot about football. I've seen maybe Ray Lewis would be somebody Jackson State would oh, wow. intend to maybe try to offer, see if he wants to come over into coaching. Mm. Um, I think he does a little TV action mm-hmm. analyst stuff now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That'd be something, though, if they brought in somebody else. Because the thing is, is I, it's very smart to bring in somebody who already has a brand, mm-hmm. like Coach Prime. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, as soon as he comes to Jackson State, 
instantly recruit four-star, five-star coming in, surrounds himself with the best coaches he can, has somebody come in off of Dan Mullen's staff, XYZ makes it happen, and they went 27 All kinds of media and news coverage uh, constant, right? Oh, yeah. I remember going to his opening press conference, nothing like I'd ever seen. And that's something that I heard uh, the Colorado Beat guy who was on Sports Talk this week say when he went to Dion's opening presser out there in Boulder, I've never seen anything like this. Hmm. That's what we've been doing the last three years. (laughs) It's been crazy. Yeah. So we will miss Coach Prime. And there's a lot of issues from people on how he did it, how he left. But at the end of the day, everybody knew he was going to leave. Yeah. He never lied about that. He never. He always said, "Yeah, I applied to be TCU's coach last year." He said, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going." Mm. But three years is a short time. But he did a lot in those three years for not only JSU but the city, man. Yeah. I mean, big time. It's been a big shot. Yeah, I and think it's uh, unfortunate. I just hope they hire somebody who can do something similar. Yeah. He's uh, he really hasn't disparaged JSU to any degree, has he? In his departure, have you heard? No, anything? and he said uh, he's pretty bit. He's been pretty consistent about. Look, I got work to do. I still got one more game. I still got a championship to win, um, and I intend to do that. And he said that to Colorado. He said that to JSU's players. He has not. He's yeah. thanked JSU. Um, I have not seen him put out a big like post or anything like, thank you so much, JSU, for what you give me. Because at the end of the day, also, Jackson State gave Deion Sanders just as much as he gave Jackson State. No They doubt. gave him an opportunity. No doubt. Nobody else was lining up at his door to say, come coach us. I totally agree. So he, they gave him the opportunity to make it to Power Five. Yeah. Well, you know what it does, I think, construct, would you agree, JT, is that when you have uh, a coach of that caliber that not only comes in and wins, but is very engaging, as he, as he was, which I think was necessary, mm-hmm. certainly in that situation, and uh, really made a difference in the program with the kids as well, in the development of players to not only be good football players, but just good people. For sure. That uh, has uh, an immeasurable positive effect on the community, on the state, etc. And you could look at Nick Saban as point to him as a template. Now, I'd argue he's not the most engaging coach. I don't, I don't think he really likes that, honestly. But what he did bring was perennial winning teams to Alabama. And if you look at, and there's been some studies done, the economic, positive economic impact of that in terms of enrollment to the university, to Tuscaloosa, the surrounding area, the entire state, I don't think you can put a price tag on it. So you got a guy you're paying 10 or $11 million a year, and the amount of economic impact is multiples of that. Right. It's just, it just is what it is. And outside of the monetary side of it, which is great for the community, uh, Dion prioritizes, like Coach Saban, turning men, uh, turning boys into men. No doubt. Which is just transformational for everybody involved. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot to be said for that that I think we can learn. And so maybe on that basis, you could certainly argue uh, these, these folks uh, certainly earn their keep when they, when they produce that kind of value to the university and, and everything else connected to it. It's an economic boom, no doubt. It is. And even if it's just for three years, it's three more years than we would have not have had in the city of Jackson. Well, hopefully it elevated the program to a new level where they oh, can yeah. attract somebody and, and just step right in and keep it going. Yeah, and nobody can argue the history of Jackson State football and what Coach Prime helped JSU do is get them back on that map of no historically doubt. one of the best. No doubt. And so hopefully they do keep the 
the train running and hire somebody else with a similar brand. We'll see. It'd yeah. be great to see. Yeah. What else? Um, so football, real quick. Last thing, we have every FBS school heading to a bowl game for the first time since 2015. Southern will be in Mobile next Saturday. Ole Miss will be in Texas. Once again, uh, the Texas Bowl is on December 28th, and the Mississippi State is January 2nd. So football's looking good across Magnolia State, even with the loss of yeah. Coach Prime. All right, swift change of topics. Uh, nature was trying to throw us a curveball earlier this week. You saw that we might have a December hurricane. No. Yeah. Uh, last last week. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So last week, hurricane season was supposed to end. Right. This week, they said, "Ah, there's something out there lurking, and it could be a rare December hurricane." As of today, that's not going to happen anymore. Okay. We're good to go. People <laughs> on the coast, good to go. No December uh, subtropical storm. Bizarre. Yeah, you know, and we were coming out of it last week. Oh man, the Gulf Coast. We're lucky. We did a good job this year. Have 15 named stores, storms, and mm. we really didn't have we much. We skirted them. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that's good. There will be no Hurricane Owen. Um, <laughs> moving on to politics, you know, it feels like we're always talking about the session, and today marks 25 days away from the session. Hard to believe. And it felt like we were just in here talking about how the session's about to end. Inside a month now. Right. Unbelievable. And so, it's election year. Oh man, yep. We got to <laughs> Yeah. Uh so they'll be retaking up the ballot initiative, possibly doing some one-time tax rebates. Yeah. Um looking into hospitals, which is just ongoing and ongoing. Yep. And we got to get something done on all of those accounts, but especially the hospitals. You had Greenwood's Greenwood Mayor Carolyn McAdams on earlier this week and she talked about the rural hospital program which sounds like it could be a, a little beneficial. Yep. Um, you know, some expansion would probably they're going to they're going to go over that as well. Um, some expansion to see what they can do for these hospitals because as of right now, we have six hospitals including Greenwood LaFleur that are on the verge of closing down by summer 2023 if nothing changes today. You know. Yeah. Got to get something figured out there and lo- and I think the lawmakers will. I think they have that on the top of their to-do list. Uh, staying in politics, you had a relatively big announcement on your show earlier this week um, with Steve Holland. Mm-hmm. He will be a former longtime legislator. He will be running for 5th District Supervisor in Lee County. Said that's what he always wanted to do. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. After spending 36 years 36, in Jackson. Right. And he will be running against Republican Barry Parker, who yep. currently serves as Senator Roger Wicker's um, and works in veteran fair stuff like that. Should be interesting. Well, there's always more, but you can find it on supertalk.fm. Appreciate it, JT. Thanks, Thanks for coming on. Stepping aside for a break here from the Element Well Studios, bumping out with JT's favorite, The Doors, coming right back. Days with Gerard Gibbons. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk, Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Back 
in the Element Well Studios, midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We've got law professor Christopher Green uh, coming on the program at 12.05. He's at the Ole Miss Law School, and he's going to weigh in on the Supreme Court case regarding social media liability. Of course, that has been thrust into the limelight since Elon Musk acquired Twitter and has since released a rather trove of information pertaining to the way Twitter operated before he came on the scene, and it pretty clearly shows there was a deliberate attempt, and not really an an attempt, they succeeded. There was uh, operational policy applied by management at Twitter. Jack Dorsey, the CEO, claims he didn't know a lot of this stuff was going on, but it appears that they were intentionally shadow banning through various features on the platform. Conservative views and conservative users, Dan Bongino, Charlie Kirk, or two. I think with respect to Bongino, they they set the algorithm such that you could not search his content. And as far as Charlie Kirk is concerned, they, they dialed down the amplification mechanism on his tweets. So pretty clearly, they were kind of practicing their own version of content moderation to tilt it way more to the left and suppress content coming out of the right. And that gets into, I think, the legal weeds, honestly, as to whether or not what they did was unlawful and unconstitutional. Which Are they in violation of any sort of protections to free speech? And that's what we're going to talk to Christopher Green about. He'll also talk to us about the same-sex wedding case that uh, there was a case, of course, and then now it's been codified. It's passed both houses, headed to the president. House passed it, I believe, yesterday. Late yesterday, so... Or is it the website case? This is about... There's a website case, but we got a a bill now that's going to be... Right, they're two different matters. Right. Yeah. So... So the one before the Supreme Court was dealing with not making a website. Which you talked about, right. described that for us. Um, an artist, right, that produces websites that refuse to do so for same-sex couples. And is uh, is that artist within their right to deny and reject the business, essentially? That's um, Boy, howdy, the left loves compelled speech. They really do. So now you we will use my made-up pronouns. <laughs> exactly. You will play ball in my fantasy world. Yeah, but to them, of course, anything that is contradictory to their worldview and philosophy is the end of democracy. Right. But it's almost like they're a bunch of idiots. <laughs> but of course, forcing someone against their will as a business owner who objects on, in this case, on religious grounds, not to develop and publish 
uh, a website for a same-sex couple, that they want to compel them to do so. But like by law, you must do that. You are compelled. You are forced. You will do it. This is a slippery slope. It's extremely concerning, extremely dangerous, because you could apply that to so many other situations that it's, it's disturbing. And I think, honestly, it does infringe on free speech and, and the right there, too. But the left's idea of free speech is we only, we only want to distribute and allow speech that is consistent with our views. Anything that's contradictory to that, oh, no, we can't allow that. And then you get into this, and this is what we're going to ask the professor about, this, this really complex and almost vague issue of so-called hate speech. Like, what, what is hate speech? Define that. Because guarantee you we could line up, Rhino, a dozen people in this room, and they'd all give you a different answer. Not, so not using a person's preferred pronoun it would be construed as hate speech in the minds of some. Oh, yeah. As an example. I, I saw where, um, and it's been a few months, where I think a teacher somewhere was terminated because they, uh, they misgendered a student. You've seen some crazy cases about this. Misgendered. So now, if you don't get that right, you're subject to being fired, losing your job, losing your livelihood. So that, again, I think speaks to this thorny matter of, of compelling people to speak a certain way. How could that possibly be considered consistent with the First Amendment of free speech? There's a reason why it's first, so foundational uh, to a functioning democracy, <clears throat> but yet the left, they construe it as any, any violations of their worldview with respect to... Well, that's because they believe feelings are more important than the Constitution. It's true. Because they're all so short-sighted. But you don't have a right to certain feelings. <laughs> to feel you don't have a right a to not way. be offended right which we we've shared that numerous times here on the program uh, it's it's so true but that's where we are so Elon oh, wait, Musk, wait, wait. is that an extremist position of I'm course sorry. it is we had that yesterday right <laughs> somebody told us Idiot. that <laughs> so it's so true though but the, so you got this this case that we'll see where it goes and you know, if they rule in favor of the web designer, all hell will break loose on the left, right? And it's, it's, like, it's almost like that these special sort of classes of people, they're, they're held up by the left as, as different and, and being entitled to special rights. It's because they check more boxes in the intersectionality worksheet. <laughs> Which seems to be the standard, crazy as it is. Because everybody on the left's a blithering idiot. <laughs> so there's more of a focus on clearly on race and on gender and sexual orientation and these other physical immutable characteristics. Clearly more focus on that than merit 
and capabilities and qualifications and value creation. And it looked no further than the Brittany Griner thing. I mean, the biggest deal they're making out of that is that she's a black lesbian. That's That matters. Not that she's an American that's been released from Russia. No, that's secondary. Primary is that she's a black lesbian. That's where the focus is. And it, it shouldn't be. It, it, uh, it, it absolutely should not be. That, that should be not even in the equation. Secondary. Tertiary, honestly. But that's where we've gotten. And if you, you've seen, I'll see if I can find it here, Rhino, Randy Weingarten, who is the, runs that big old teacher's union, she, she weighed in. Just another idiot. And uh, said something. <laughs> about it as well like why why is it why does she feel compelled as the head of a teachers union to even make a state about this how is that related because she enjoys education? rubbing elbows with the big and powerful especially from those on the left because they've held her up as a bastion of stupidity oh, for the last two and a half it's years it's just unbelievable that it's it's once again all these situations where these folks get out of their out of their swim lane. She mentioned how Griner is a gay black woman. Woman, like wh why from her? Why is that necessary? Why is why would she do that? What a great relief, she says in her tweet. I'm reading it now. Extraordinary news: a basketball star, but also a gay black woman, is released. And yes, of course, we want other prisoners like Paul Whelan, the Marine, released. Rhino informed us, of course, that. He's not like he's a model uh, Marine by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, it's a question of should we seek to get every American release that's unjustly held in foreign nations? Maybe, but at a minimum, does it make sense to, to cut a deal with people who want to wipe us off the planet and give them a terrorist? I don't think that makes particular sense. Now, a lot of people are bent out of shape saying, well, why didn't they do it for Paul Whelan? Because Russia ain't letting him go. That's why. Eh, you don't maybe. Do that was the first report, but it seems like they've gone back and changed their mind, and it looks like it was either or, and they chose Brittany Griner. Well, if that's the case, then I'm pissed. I can tell you that. I, I mean, I, that's not right, in my view. Okay, well, we'll talk more about that. We got a break right here on Midday. Stay with us. until 6, right here on Super Talk Jackson 97.3. Properly set all controls before recording. All systems go. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. you in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi, Middays. Hi, so Rhino has been doing uh, some, some sleuth work there, 
checking the archives. Yeah. All right. So you informed us before we went uh, to break there that apparently the U.S. did have a choice because they. According that's to that's not the way they've been um, promoting it. It's not the way Karine Jean Pierre's been spinning it. Yes. Okay. No so, surprise. A senior U.S. official speaking to NBC News said. But the officials said that Russia had treated Whelan differently because he is an accused spy. Yeah. And the Kremlin gave the White House the choice of either Griner or Whelan or none. Then, without an editorial note, without even trying to point out that they had to make this change, NBC News went back in on their report. And now it says, but the officials said Russia has treated Whelan differently because he is an accused spy and that the Kremlin ultimately gave the White House the choice of either Griner or no one after different options were proposed. Hmm. Interesting. So, if that's the case, that's got to get exposed. So, you you found some, you're, you're confident with that uh, source there, right? Oh, yeah. yeah okay. I mean, I, I know that you, you and I, I think, think alike on that. We don't just take stuff at face value that comes from... Uh, a variety of sources that don't have anything else to that corresponds. Okay, well we need to get that out there. I I'm sort of betting that that's that should be big time news here uh, pretty soon if that's the case. Now maybe it's known, it's possible, but you're just dealing with Karine Jean Pierre spinning it. But if, in fact, the Kremlin gave the option to this country, I guess the people deserve to know how the Biden administration arrived at their selection of Griner. What, what drove that? What's the, Was it the photo opportunity of intersectionality? More than likely. More than likely. Now... And now they've just made it even more appealing for bad actors to essentially abduct American citizens and say they're arrested. No doubt. You remember the Bo Bergdahl deal? What did we give up? Four or five, right? Notorious terrorists for that deal. For a deserter. Right. That made no sense. So... But you're so right that you know they're looking at this. Oh, okay. All we got to go do is go take into custody an American in country and then just call up old Joe Biden and say, okay, we want this and this and this. I mean, it, it does project that way. That's. I mean, if you want to follow it logically, that means you're going to have bad actors targeting those that check the boxes of intersectionality. That's very true. Because they moved to so the top of the really list. if you really want to put the full spin on it, it means the Biden administration has made lives more dangerous for people of color and people in the LGBTQRSTUV community. In the name of equality, diversity, because all freaking idiots. diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm so sick of that. I got to tell you, sick of it. And later on in the program, got to share some more stories of how this radical gender ideology stuff is invading America's schools. It is incredible. We have lost our minds in this country. A young girl, 14, 
I think in Vermont, speaking up, speaking out, doesn't want to see men, young men, in the locker room with them, has been dismissed from the school for complaining about it. Because some 14-year-old transgender is hanging their junk out in the girls' locker room. This is insanity. I, I can't help but think, once again, of this concern I have about China. If they ever wake up and, and really become a free capitalistic nation, they're going to absolutely dominate us. Because that's the kind of crap we're doing in our schools, and they're teaching calculus in theirs. We're all tied up in knots about what locker room to go into. It is nuts. Because the left is more obsessed with feelings than reality. Well, feelings don't feed the bulldog, as they say. They get you killed, is what they'll do. And destroy our way of life, which they're chipping away at on a daily basis. Time for a break here. The Super Talk News, Fox News coming your way. More after that in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, midday Super Talk Mississippi on this Friday, y'all. On the ceasefire text line, back to the conversation regarding these cash, these digital applications, cash applications now being required to report. It is a 1099K, by the way, is the document they will issue. Will go to the uh, the individual who had more than $600 over a year in receipts for goods and services, and they'll also send, of course, a copy of that to uh, to the IRS, just like is the case with W-2s and K-1s and 1099s and other records of income. And, of course, the idea is that the IRS has all that on file, and when you file your tax return, they look to match that up with your return, and if they don't, possibly could trigger an audit, and it could be flagged. On the ceasefire text line, I don't think it's about just about taxes. Could it be a first step in monitoring individual trade? Well, if you're talking about just sort of cash transactions between individuals, uh, sure. I mean, the fact is, if, if there's income being produced as part of those transactions, it is subject to taxes. But what's happened is the convenience of these cash apps is, is uh, prompted lots of small businesses or even individual-type businesses to utilize those as a method of payment. There's no doubt it's a lot more convenient than the buyer 
issuing a check or paying cash that you've got to then go to the bank to deposit, the Cash App is connected automatically, of course, to your, your bank account or multiple bank accounts and, or credit cards, debit cards. It, it works pretty well, honestly. So there's a convenience issue there that's, that is of value. Uh, and so the IRS says, gee, so what's happened is, I think, Rhino, a lot of those transactions that previously were done with checks or cash have now transitioned. You, you look at your Venmo, and if the transaction is flagged to be visible to contacts of the, those involved in the transaction or the public, you see it all the time, right? Folks paying for for yard work and pressure washing. I mean, you name it. Like lots of domestic type services oh, yeah. is where you typically see that. But there's even some really small businesses that are individual type, entrepreneur type businesses that accept that as a form of payment. It's very convenient. It works great, honestly. Yeah, it's just the next step because previously a lot of the small businesses had to use the little square deal yeah. that you had to have a little piece of hardware to plug into your phone that you could swipe a card through. And that's assuming you're you're there in person with them. Right. So this of course can be done from the convenience of your phone as long as you're connected to the internet. I mean it we settle our golf bets that way. So uh, by the way, uh, Gary in the Berg says, say no to Venmo on settling your golf bets. I can assure you, Gary, they don't amount to more than six hundred dollars. <laughs> We don't play for that much, honestly. And you know what they say, right, Gary? Gambling money in golf has no home. So it's just we just we just kind of shuffle it around. Nobody dominates in that case. But I think to the point here by uh, of JB on the ceasefire tax line, there's no doubt that there is a uh, there's a nefarious side to this as well. I think where the left in this country does want more access, more visibility to personal financial matters. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely none. The $600 requirement, that uh, provision for that, that they attempted to get past pertaining to a, just an individual standard checking account, uh, that was Liz Warren was all over that. She, I mean, she was absolutely. Imagine old. that Liz Warren <laughs> likes a stupid idea, especially when it it's comes almost to, like every idea she likes is a stupid idea. Especially when it comes to getting in your pocket and getting involved in your finances. Yeah, they were all over that. Fortunately, and I say this in all honesty, folks, it was it was Joe Manchin. And Kirsten Cinema that stopped that nightmare. Had they got on board with the Democrats, we'd be living under that. It's scary to think it literally came down to those two individuals to guard against that junk. But that's the truth. Now we got a 5149. You've probably heard the news. Kirsten Cinema announced it. I got the notification early this morning. She's going independent. Yeah, but she's still going to caucus with the of Democrats. Of course she will. Like Bernie. Totally agree. I don't know that it 
it means a whole lot. The question I have that I'm not sure of, Rhino, is how that's that changes. It's a way for her to keep the spotlight on her, not no, it's no, no doubt. longer 50-50. No doubt. It's, uh, it's politically selfish. It's political theater for selfish purposes. But I'm not sure how that changes the, the power structure, the power-sharing agreements that, that uh, were, were in place when you got a 50-50 situation, and, and that pertains to uh, committee chair and committee power and authority, investigations, subpoenas, etc. Not sure how that changes that. It's, it's uh, interesting. I, I honestly don't know, because we've had independence before. Is it Lieberman, I think? Senator Lieberman is as well, right, a, um, an independent. You you uh, indicated Bernie Sanders. You're right about that. Independent from Vermont caucuses with the Democrats, as in Joe Lieberman caucuses with the Democrats for the most part as well. Is Lieberman even still in the Senate? Maybe he's not. Maybe he stepped down. And, and you're right about that. I think he um, he retired, but I think he weighed in on this move because he did the same thing. Is is uh, what I'm thinking there. So I think you're right about that, Joe Lieberman. Uh, so that's kind of interesting that that's going on in the federal government up in there in the U.S. Senate. Will this decision, let's see, serious legal question on the ceasefire text line, and full disclosure, neither Rhino nor I are lawyers here, but as a business owner, can someone refuse to do business with someone because of their religion? For example, can I, as a Christian, say I it violates my belief to serve a Jewish Jewish person at my restaurant, or as a Muslim, can I refuse to serve a Christian? Well, honestly, this case that Rhino was just talking about, the web development case where the developer refused to produce a website for a same-sex couple, that's at the heart of that question. That's before the Supreme Court. Now, we already had the cake bacon case. I'm not really sure why this is different. Seems like we're litigating the same thing. Now, I'm not sure what the nuances are. Maybe Professor Green can help us uh, with that and unravel uh, that. My personal belief is, as a business owner, I should have the right to do business with whomever I want at whatever price the parties agree to. That's my philosophical view of things. Unless, unless I have executed a contract with certain requirements pertaining to uh, who I do business with, who I serve, or it's a condition of some license I've obtained. But you can, you can get really messed up in, in uh, a situation where, let's say, a, a business refuses to serve a consumer, and, and it's for some some reason other than standing on religious principles, their their closely held religious beliefs is a terminology you typically see ascribed to that that situation. But let's just say they're unruly, they're abusive, they don't pay, they're slow pay. I could go down a list of there's the pain. I I can remember Rhino twenty five years ago attending events in my industry where you'd have these breakout sessions, right, training modules, as we used to call them. And one of them had to do with categorizing your customers. And this is in the early days when we started 
all these uh, special sort of branding of customers, you know, like your Kroger card, for example, and your frequent buyer. and all. We, it, it all got invented by the airline industry, the, you know, the frequent flyer concept. And lots of other industries have picked up on that as well. It just It's an incentive to keep you regular buying and repeat buying from that organization. You get some sort of benefits for that, right? Well, I remember in one of these, these modules, these training sessions I went to, the consultant was saying, you need to categorize your customer A, B, and C, and you need to fire all the Cs. They're costing you money, was his point. They're more trouble than they're worth. They're paying. They're consuming your resources. Sure, that happens. There's no doubt. Well, if you do that, and they happen to, to be, uh, I don't know, as the, as the uh, texter says here, a Muslim and you're a Christian, do you, does the government come after you and say, you just fired them because they're Muslim? Well, no, we fired them because they're a pain in the butt to deal with. I don't want it anymore. It's costing me money. Coming right back on Midday. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us on this. Right, y'all. Yeah, so Joe Lieberman, right, he exited the Senate in 2013. He did weigh Is that in. for his presidential run? That's right. He, he uh, did run for president. Actually, he ran in 2004, but he may have run again, right? He's, I thought he tried and just didn't get very far. Seems like that's wrong. right. So interestingly enough, when he switched, it was 2006, he lost the Democratic primary, and then he chose to run as an independent in the general, and he won. And that was his last term in the Senate. So a friend that's uh, pretty knowledgeable about this stuff, I was just wondering, curious about how this might change the power-sharing agreements and so forth, says they don't think it makes any difference. There were 49 Republicans, 49 Democrats, with two independents that, that caucus with the Democrats. Now they're 49 and 48, with three that caucus with the Democrats. The caucus is the same size as it was before, so it really doesn't make any difference. Okay, that makes sense. And I, and I think, honestly, that those are rules they agree to. I don't think that's like in law, embedded in law. I think that's just at the discretion of Senate leadership from both parties. Yeah, it's the ground rules for the yeah. Senate. Yeah. So, okay, so I think it's fair to say really no change in how if that's going to If the ball work. gets stuck under desk 32, it's a double. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I got to laugh. I... I remember playing high school baseball. I'm not going to say where. I uh, don't want to call attention to it. But it was at a field that had no fence. And the outfield was formed by the intersection of two roads. They were fairly off in the distance, right? And the foul lines were marked by two, I kid you not, creosote poles that were fairly crooked. Uh, went up about 10 feet. That was it. And, of course, those two roads, it was in a neighborhood. 
old baseball field in the middle of this small town somewhere in Mississippi, and there were small houses on the other side of the roads. So I remember being fairly close where I could hear my coach at the, it's called a plate meeting, you know, with the umpire, both coaches. Just uh, changed the lineup. That's right, and go through the ground rules, as you were talking about. (laughs) Ball under the desk. (laughs) And, And so at this place, with no fence, as you can imagine, uh, and just a little backstop behind the plate. It took them a while to go through the ground rules. If it hits on this side of the tree, it's a ground rule double. If it hits on that side and comes out of the ditch and bounces out, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> but the right field was further out. And I'm, when I'm telling you it's further out, the other side of the road, which it was a very narrow road, but the other side, the front yard there, it was 500 feet. And I remember after the guy went through all the ground rules, my coach said, tongue-in-cheek, of course, because he was astonished at the lengthiness of the ground rules, says, well, what if we hit one <laughs> on the, in the yard on the other side of the road? And the umpire said, well, coach, I reckon that'd be a home run. <laughs> no kidding. If you could hit it 500 feet in high school, yeah, that might get you a home run. Unbelievable. Uh, but you're right. That's it's kind of the sort of wrangling that happens to some extent. We reported a couple of weeks ago, we're going to say a prayer and say the Pledge of Allegiance to begin the day in the House. McCarthy, the likely next Speaker of the House, has indicated that will be part of the rules. I can't help but think about Pelosi and the got to wear a mask. Remember that uh, that that session, and then the other one was this whole slate of dumb language you had to adhere to. You couldn't refer to someone's someone's not a brother or a sister or husband or wife, right? Spouse and like who pays attention to that junk? And that's People worried it. about the feelings of a minute fraction of the population that are letting the tail wag the dog. That's no, who. No doubt about it. But they ain't doing that in China. That's what bothers me. I, and I, maybe it sounds like uh, hyperbole and fear-mongering. It's, it's not intended to be that. It's, it's just we're taking our eye off the ball of what's important. And that ain't important. I'm sorry. If your feelings are hurt, I'm sorry. Just get over it. You know what? Bombs coming out of China and living under the the Chinese flag, the hammer and sickle, that hurts my feelings, by the way. Yeah, that sounds crazy. It's not. I don't think it is. If we keep on this trend, it's nuts. We got the producer price index this morning, folks. That is a measure of the cost of inputs into the production process as opposed to the consumer price index, which measures the price consumers pay for goods, for commodities. And that came in hotter than expected. And the market has been hopping around. It's your fault, Rhino. You came up with this idea, this concept of the kangaroo market. And that's all we got now since you said that. Today I jinxed it. You did. Today I've watched the futures. I watched the futures this morning go from early in the morning to being green, anticipating, honestly, that we would see moderation 
Uh, as long as they spell my name right on the kangaroo statue <laughs> they set up on Wall Street, I'll be happy. <laughs> That's all we need is a damn kangaroo statue on Wall Street. We just make the pouch big enough to put a toddler in. It'll be a selfie wonder world. <laughs> oh, and what gender will the kangaroo be? I've got a pouch. It's probably a woman. <laughs> okay. Kangaroo. I got you. I guess be female kangaroo, not woman kangaroo. Well, I got you. Of course, nobody can define woman on the left anymore, so we can't uh, adhere to any. It's just a costume, <laughs> like the one Sam Britton wears while he's stealing luggage. So, will you tell everybody what happened? So, the Biden choice for how to get rid of or how to take care of nuclear fuel, Sam Britton, the dude with a mustache that wears brightly colored dresses to match his <laughs> lipstick, is already in hot water for stealing luggage from middle America. Now he's got another felony arrest warrant out because he stole luggage at the Las Vegas airport. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this guy's a klepto. Is that fair to say at this point? I'm going to go out on a limb and say this guy has issues and needs help <laughs> and does not need to be in charge of nuclear secrets. Uh, just another example. We called it early on. The first day this guy in the White House was seated shortly after inauguration. All about what a person is, not who they are. This fool got into this position solely because of what they are. Nothing else. Nothing else mattered. No qualifications, no experience, no capabilities. Nope. Just transgender or whatever it is. I don't even know. Stay confused about that. Hmm. By the way, the that's why you have the umbrella term of non-binary. That's for the cowardly <laughs> transgender that don't want to go all the way through it, but they still want all the perks of being intersectional. Oh man, Godly. how did we get here, man? And By allowing stuff. Democrats to let the tail wag the dog, and that's exactly what's happening, and it is infiltrating America's education system. There's no doubt about it. It is freaking everywhere. And I, I ask of everybody in the state that's listening, tuned in, you see or hear this stuff going on in schools, let us know. We'll share it. We'll expose it. I hope not. I just don't know. It doesn't seem like anything is out of the realm of possibility these days. Every time you think you've seen it all, you obviously haven't. You saw where some goofy Washington Post opinion writer says Shark Week is racist now or something like that. Oh, yeah, and you can have drag time, drag story time in any public library you want, but Kirk Cameron can't seem to get a, a spot on the schedule right. for his faith-based children's book. Sick. This is uh, so upside down. So it's okay for a dude to wear women's underwear in front of little kids, but it's not okay for Kirk Cameron to read a book about how God loves kids. I sent you some video... We uh, may not have time in this segment. I think you have it. I think I sent it to you, and it's of a this dean of students or something at some prestigious private school that's boasting about uh, their radical gender ideology curricula and how they are curriculum and how they are uh, foisting this on school children. We'll play that for you, folks. You got to hear it. When we come out, he's bragging about it. You can't believe what they're doing in middle school and high school. It's nuts. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. That's my love. 
Mississippi. Super Talk Mississippi, middays in the Element Wealth Studios. All right, so set this up for us. What's this guy's title, position? It is it? Joseph Bruno, the Dean of Students at Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, Illinois. Which is like 60 grand a year. I think it's 40 grand, but yeah, that's okay. a lot. Okay, 40 grand. Here we go. I had like our LGBTQ plus health center come in. They were passing around butt plugs and dildos to my students, talking about queer sex, using blue versus using spit. Meet Joe Bruno, Dean of Students at the prestigious Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago, which happens to charge $40,000 per student. They're just like passing around dildos, butt plugs. The kids are just playing with them. They're like, how do you, how does this work? How do we do, like, how does this work? Uh, oh wait, the best part. Cool part of my job. That's a really cool part of my job. Really cool part of my job. Sharing their sexual freak stories, essentially. I, you know, you want to do Which it. Which I may get in trouble for saying this. What this dude can sue me if he wants to. Yeah. You look at him; he looks like a kid diddler. No doubt about it. I agree with you. He gives off that vibe. No doubt. Totally agree. I wouldn't let my child around. No. Totally agree. He's too happy about this. And this is your best part of your job? You're the dean of students at a $40,000 a year private school, and that's the best part of your job? Is introducing them? Well, you might not be introducing them, but passing around, exposing, discussing, and allowing students to handle... Sex toys? When in the real world, they would not be allowed in the store that sells them. That's true. But not in school. Just condoned. This was, by the way, undercover video. He didn't know he was being captured. Right? He, uh, he didn't know. Veritas, I think, did it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. It's not just there, though, Rhino. Not just that school. This crap's happening everywhere. The story I shared earlier about the girl that complained and got kicked out of school because of the transgenders in the, in the locker room, 
there, there's more happening. Remember the one we shared about the, was it the YMCA or the YWCA? I can't remember. Maybe it's YMCA. And uh, the story about same situation. They had a lifeguard that was going into the other bathroom but exposing themselves. Now, by the way, there are reports of this Loudoun County School District, Virginia, which really got this whole thing, I think, on the map, this, this whole issue as far as this radical gender ideology being foisted on uh, school children and becoming so prevalent in schools. It's, it's what got Glenn Youngkin elected in a blue state, honestly, because even a lot of the Democrats in that state said, it's going too far. But now we're learning that the teachers were essentially told not to report any site, any incidents that looked unusual, such as this 14-year-old, I believe it was 14-year-old girl, who was being molested, bullied, sexually abused inside the stalls of the bathroom and now it, it's being revealed that teachers went into the bathroom, saw multiple pair of feet in the stall, and didn't say anything, fearing for their jobs, not reporting that, while a young girl was being abused by some sexual deviant. This is insanity. We are stealing the innocence of our children. And it's not only horrific, despicable, sad, because you only get that once in life, but this will have consequences down the road. You want society to continue to be safe and prosperous and be in a position to tackle the continuous problem of matching scarce supply with increased demand. That's been the fundamental human challenge since the beginning of humanity. And it's only through human innovation that we're able to endure and thrive to address that problem. Well, when we're screwing people up the way we are when they're kids, I think it dramatically increases the risk that they won't be able to handle life on Earth. Because of the junk that we're thrusting down their throats and praising, lauding. So this this situation with uh, the Kettle Moraine School District. It's another one. Essentially undermining, overriding parents' decision-making rights with their children in school have this goofy policy. And this is there's a lot of them like this. This is in Wisconsin. That if a child wants to be referred to by a different set of pronouns and a nickname and and uh, has these, this gender dysphoria and tendencies to want to be the different gender from their biological sex, 
then the school embraces them and will not inform and involve the parents. So there's a case now that deals with a sixth grade girl and had a, a, a um, gender-affirming therapist. And the parents disagreed with the school for really egging her on. This girl who wanted to have some thoughts about becoming, transitioning to being a male. And the school district told the parents, we have a practice of using a nickname when requested by the child, and that's been in place for decades. Nickname. But there was another email that the child got from an administrator in the school celebrating celebrating the child coming out as a transgender without the parents even knowing. They call this process, brand new phrase, Rhino, I've never heard about. Maybe you already knew it. Love bombing. That's what they call it. Love bombing. Here's what this administrator said. I want you to know how much I respect and admire you. You are so brave, and I am proud of you for being strong enough to be you. You are an amazing person, the you in all caps. And you will be happier now that you can honor who you are. It might not be easy, but it is worth it. Please let me know if I can ever help in any way, even if you just need someone to listen to. So they make it a practice of bombarding, literally, from admin and faculty that fully are on board with this nonsense, the child. Well, of course, when you get that kind of attention, they ain't stupid. They know when the child gets that sort of attention and praise from adults like that, because of this dysphoria, well, they feel like, yeah, that's why I need to do it. I mean, that that's just human nature, and they know it, and they're abusing it. Bingo. Abuse is the key word there. Psychologists identify love bombing as part of the abuse cycle. Okay. Unbelievable. Think about it in terms of domestic violence. You have one party say it's the guy, that hits his spouse and then the next day shows up with flowers and chocolates and love bombs her as a way to not be in the doghouse, to not get the cops called on him. It's a part of the cycle of abuse to manipulate someone into doing what you want them to do. That's exactly right. It's it's more about, I think, confirming their views. In many cases, they've done this themselves, and they probably ain't sure they made the right decision. And so they try to get more people on board, which kind of reassures them in some perverted way that they did make the right decision, right? It's like validates it. by, And so they... They take advantage of and, frankly, ruin a child's life for their own personal edification. No doubt about it. We are coming back in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget, after the break at the top of the hour, law professor Christopher Green going to talk about Twitter, social media liability, 
and uh, a same-sex wedding case. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on! Let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. cool was it we got to talk to Ricky Skaggs yesterday, oh, yeah. Sharon White is wife. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? No doubt about it. Carol in Starkville asks, can they not be sued for these actions? They, they are, Carol. They absolutely are. And uh, that's the good news there. So it's it, the courts are going to start sorting this stuff out. But there's no doubt, Rhino, that these you're so right about that. These fools like this, what's his name that we just played? Bravo, Bernardo, something like that. Uh, the dean of students at this ritzy private school. Joseph Bruno, Bruno, dean of students at Francis W. Parker Private School in Chicago. There's no doubt that there are, or his type are uh, fairly pervasive in the education community. And they're in these positions. They're making these policies. And and there's no doubt that they seek to exclude parents from being involved whatsoever. This is, by the way, is this not... Because their ideology doesn't hold up to an actual argument with an equal, like an adult, a parent. They have to manipulate children because their logic is not sound. I think that's true. But is this not a tenet of Marxism? Wasn't that something that Karl Marx himself, an idea that he promoted, that the idea that the children belong not just to the schools, but to the state in general, to the community. They're not really part of their natural family. I'm pretty sure that was something that Marx believed in and felt was necessary to have a functioning communist society. Well, you don't own anything. Even your own life is not your own. It's the, it's belongs to the state because they can sniff it out at any point in time just for speaking out against the bourgeoisie, the regime. That's been happening for decades. Dissenters. That no doubt about it. But this is part of it. They belong to the community, so we can indoctrinate them and raise them to be good little pajama-wearing communists. It's true. It's despicable. And the healthcare industry signs on to it because they know they have a patient for life. Oh, exactly right. We 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 heard uh, we exposed that when we played the little clip from some administrator at Vanderbilt uh, Medical Center. When she was addressing a group of physicians and administrators and healthcare professionals, et cetera, and they were talking about the gender transition surgery and was sort of tongue in cheek bragging about the profit opportunity there because 
once you had the surgery, you ain't done, and it's like 40 grand or something. You need treatment for life. She said it. She didn't try to hide it. And treatment for life means you're going to be paying money for the rest of your life to deal with this unnatural, dramatic mutilation of your body. That's what it is. Not to mention, you got to chase the cobwebs out of your brain, too. You need treatment there normally. This is just sick, and I, I don't think this is getting enough attention. And that's and I know maybe folks out there saying, why is Gerard dwelling on this? And it's because I don't think it's getting enough attention. And I think it's it's sweeping this country. And I think it's sort of a pernicious way the left is seizing control. They know they're not going to change our minds. But impressionable youngsters who want to believe adults. We, we train them that way. Now we got to tr- untrain them. You can't trust adults. How the hell do you deal with that? Next thing you know, then they tell their parents, well, I can't trust you either. You're an adult. It's sick. It's sick. So why can't we go back to what worked? Just go to school and learn the skills you need to be a productive member of society but that, that you don't get at home, and the home takes care of uh, the other aspects of your upbringing. But that doesn't reaffirm these wackos, off-the-wall ideals. They are off-the-wall. They're, they're sick. That's I'm why they you. do it. That's why you got these rainbow-headed power glasses wearing kindergarten teachers putting up rainbow flags. Mm. Is because they are wackadoodles. And they don't get any other feelings except for affirmation from teaching the kindergartners about dildos and butt plugs. And, you know, because the, they're messed up in the head. And the, and the fact that we oppose this in the classroom and, again the brainwashing of our children, of course that makes us whatever. One of the isms, uh, uh, what what do they call it? Um, Transphobia would be an example. And if you oppose uh, the the LGBTQ, I don't even know what the hell they call us now for being in that camp. We don't oppose that. We oppose it in the classroom. Coming right back with Professor Christopher, Christopher Green. Stay with us. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone to midday super talk mississippi in the element well studios on this friday y'all joining us now law professor from Ole miss professor christopher green good to see you there professor good to see you yes sir so um hope everything is well uh up in oxford Are you there today i am we're uh getting to the uh uh uh, exam period. I think my uh, new microphone is a little echoey, so I'll see if I can uh, turn it down a little bit. Yeah, it might be. So your... is it echoing for you too? A little bit. It might be the speakers. 
uh, attached to your yeah. system there. Might want to turn those down a little bit, help out, or yeah, see what you can do. I can. So while you're yeah, while you're adjusting the, uh, the technology there, <laughs> we uh, we wanted to talk to you today about uh, this social media free speech dilemma and uh, possible liabilities that the social media platforms might have, and that's in the light, of course, of Elon Musk taking the reins at Twitter, and he has released just a, a trove of information here in the last couple of weeks that pretty much point to points to lots of uh, suppression and content moderation with a slant towards uh, really reducing the amount of content coming from more conservative-oriented uh, users and, and really national personalities that were tweeting a lot of content uh, related to that. We're, we're now learning that the likes of Dan Bongino and Charlie Kirk, uh, there were special features the Twitter management has, the content moderators have, that allowed them to really limit search of their, their content, their tweets, and information they shared, and also just um, throttled down the amplification in the in the case of Charlie Kirk and the content that he was putting out there, and it just seems like there was a deliberate attempt there, obviously to do so. But more disturbingly is whether or not there was some collusion going on with the federal government. Were they taking orders from government officials? In the moderation of content, and I'll be quiet and let you talk about that. It's a complex matter. What's different about these guys, for example, help us out with that, Professor, in standard, say, newsprint media or, or other digital media or, or even television media? How do they differ? Well, yeah, the, the, the thing that uh, is uh, – let me – okay. Uh, the thing that is so striking about the uh, the current – disputes that you get are the role of these algorithms uh, and uh, the fact that, you know, it's very difficult to distinguish between what is getting done by the algorithm itself in terms of recommending things for different people, what's being done by the management over it. Um, I think some of these internal documents that we've seen are clearly indicating, hey, you know, they, they came in and they... Uh, they knew what was going on. Uh, they knew what the results were. Uh, a number of people. So this, you know, this started. I mean, I think anybody using Twitter, you know, you notice when these algorithms change. You're clearly like suddenly seeing different things. Uh, they used to have uh, just a lot more encouragement. I it used to be I would go on Twitter and they'd say, "Oh, that guy that you were arguing with all the time. He said more stuff. Do you want to?" <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort of you know really encouraging me encouraging me to argue with this one particular guy. And then suddenly I'm getting this different uh, uh, stuff. They clearly uh, tweak that algorithm. And it is really hard to know whether, um, uh, you, know, you, know, uh, you know, without really getting into the details and knowing a lot of computer science, uh, uh, know how much of it is deliberate, how much is the result of particular deliberate decisions. You have some memos within Twitter. But uh, but this case, the Supreme Court just uh, granted review on a, a, a bit ago about uh, support for terrorism. It has a lot of the same issues because they set up a system that allows you to kind of found, find people you like talking with uh, and tend to agree with. And, uh, oh, my goodness, uh, we've suddenly set up a platform 
uh, that is helping ISIS find their people because uh, it helps everybody find their people. Yeah. So Twitter now is saying, uh, hey, you know, we really should interpret uh, so knowledge and substantial assistance for terrorism. That's what the, uh, the statute about terrorism uh, is talking about it. And they say, you know, just giving the same service that we're giving to everybody, that's not substantial service for terrorism, even though it might be kind of the, the only way that ISIS can connect with people to carry out these, these terrorist attacks is, is through having these platforms. So it's a real difficult question about how much we're like as the government, as the people trying to defend ourselves, how much we're going to demand of these social media companies in terms of uh, rooting out uh uh, rooting out the bad guys and preventing them from forming their own terroristic communities. Uh, there's a separate question about about just internet regulation in 230. But uh, but in terms of the algorithm and the fact that we're in an algorithmic age where there's necessarily a lack of transparency, no no single person knows entirely what's going on. Uh, we're not quite to, you know Skynet being self conscious yet, but it's. Uh, <laughs> It's disturbing. It's it's very it's a very very difficult environment to know uh, to know what to do either if you're running a company or if you're running you know if uh, advocating policies about how to regulate this. Yeah, I mean it's a good point because while humans set in motion and create the code, the underlying code that is these algorithms, um, and they include of course machine learning features in that. Uh, once it, once they put them out there. They sort of start to take a bit of a life of their own based on the nuances that's built into the code. But I think, I, I, you know, someone that's technical enough, that's familiar enough with that process, could probably successfully argue that, well, the, the code was, was skewed in one direction from the get-go, and it just became, I guess, more intense, and it amped up over time as it, as it consumed more, processed more content. And, and learn more. But it's a great point you make. I think there's a lot of folks probably in the general public that think there's just this army of people that are sitting in front of keyboards and screens that are seeing all this content come through and and making decisions. That's really not how it works. It's all done electronically. It'd be impossible to, to hire enough people to do that with any degree of efficiency. And so that's not how it works. There's a little bit of that um, no doubt. Certainly, though, it appears, Professor, decisions were made by management to blacklist, is what it's called, or shadow ban certain users that were right-wing oriented. That's been exposed. That, that looks like it's credible to me, at least. I don't know if you've looked at any of those documents. But they appear that way. The question from a legal perspective is, is that against the law for a private company like Twitter? Well, there, yeah. So Texas and Florida have uh, they've passed laws, uh, more or less telling uh, uh, telling Twitter, telling Facebook, telling a bunch of these social media places, hey, you know, you have to serve people of all uh, persuasions, uh, political and religious. You have to treat them on a par with other citizens. Okay. Uh, so that's in keeping with our general uh, uh, tradition of regulating common carriers. Taking it and moving it to um, viewpoint, which is traditionally one of the ways that all citizens have to be uh, uh, treated equally. You couldn't run a bridge uh, and say, "Oh, you know, any any citizen can can cross the bridge," uh, but uh, uh, democratic people have to. Uh, members of the Democratic Party have to pay twice as much. Yeah, yeah. you couldn't couldn't discriminate on the basis. And certainly, 
I mean, you kind of have the memos on top of the algorithms. Yeah, I, gotcha. you know, the algorithms kind of spit out certain results. People look at the results, and uh, the, the decision whether to care about that is is obviously, I think, it's on the basis of some of these memos, affected by the the politics. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so a lot of these uh, these these two big new statutes, which I think the Supreme Court is probably going to review. Uh, in the probably in the next uh, year and a half, they I, I think it's probably not going to get to the court by by next June, but by, probably by by mid twenty twenty four. Yeah, um, and it's you know it's just a big big question about how we function as a society uh, when you've got these tech giants with so 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 much power, and it really is kind of amazing that uh, I mean Musk obviously forty four billion dollars is a lot that he's got to pay to get in there, but you know he can make decisions saying okay. You know, Trump has has got his account back. He's not using it again yet, but uh, you got, got all these all these old tweets suddenly appear reappear. Yeah, people can retweet them again. Yeah, um, uh, and this is this is because you know a single uh, person decided, yeah, we're gonna gonna have uh, a more even handed approach, even if it means getting uh, getting some you know crazier stuff back online. Yeah. We're up against a break right here. Can you hang in there with us, Professor, through the break and talk to us in another segment? Sure. Yeah, great. We want to talk to you uh, further about this and also about uh, the uh, same-sex wedding website developer case that's going in front of the Supreme Court. We understand that you filed a brief in this case. Is that right? That is right. Okay. I, uh, I filed the Mika's brief. They uh, they didn't call me out. They didn't. They mentioned a few professors on Monday, <laughs> but uh, but not me. So, but they may. I may tr- do what I can to highlight it uh, with uh, with some more writing between now and June. We'll cover it after the break. We're in the Element Well Studios. Stick around with us, folks. to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back everyone Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios, we're visiting with a law professor, Christopher Green. So, Professor, when we talk about the, the First Amendment before we go to the Supreme Court case, something that, that always kind of perplexes me is to, to what degree are private social media companies responsible for protecting the First Amendment? Now, I know you... You uh, talked about a couple of states, I guess, that, who have enacted laws, which are, I assume, a condition of operating within those states. And, and I assume that's perfectly within their, their right, their purview, their legal authority to do so. I mean, you're just regulating an industry in their state. And I'm sure if that conflicts with the First Amendment or somehow is unconstitutional, those companies could file a lawsuit, get it all the way up to the Supreme Court, let the Supreme Court sort it out, whether or not the states uh, exceeded their authority, I, I guess, is the way that would flesh they, out legally. And they have. Oh, okay, uh, right. So the, Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Net Choice case, um, uh, 
I had hoped my my new audio settings would prevent the uh, the echoing, but uh, I think the only only thing I could do is to turn off my uh, my speaker right. for a second. But right. uh, but yeah, the Net Choice case is a uh, uh, a First Amendment challenge to these laws. The, okay. the internet company saying, "Hey, we have a right to speak, and that are, that means a right to pick favorites. And we if we want to be a Republican or a Democrat leaning uh, social media platform, we are uh, entitled to do that." The reason uh, that uh, there uh, there is an argument on behalf of the government is uh, the traditional kind of regulations that we put on common carriers. So if you're a, a cable company and we give you a special monopoly in order to go into people's uh, people's homes with a cable, you get eminent domain power to to run uh, run your service in a particular way to everybody. Well, in exchange for getting that benefit, long long tradition. So we're talking like back sure. to seventeenth seventeenth uh, century. So uh, people like uh, Chief Justice Hale talk about this. The, the, the difference between the the use privatum and the use publicum. <laughs> if you're just completely private, well, nobody it doesn't matter to anybody what you do. Uh, that's be somebody who's not at a particular market bottleneck. And then you've got uh, the public uh, uh, sphere. That's you know the the paradigm is somebody running a bridge. Okay, there's only one way to get over that bridge. Yep. Uh, you've got to say. Um, you have an obligation to serve everybody, okay? And the question uh, really uh, is, is uh, Twitter or our Facebook, our, uh, our Google, are they like a bridge uh, in the relevant uh, respect? Um, the, you know, they, they, they had, we had cases about the mall. Uh, so back in the 70s, the uh, Supreme Court said, well, as a matter of First Amendment doctrine, you don't have a right to go to somebody else's mall and speak. But if a state wants to tell a mall you do have to let people come in to speak. Uh, the mall did not have a First Amendment right uh, against uh, as a shield against that. So that's the uh, the big precedent that uh, Texas and Florida are going to be relying on. Uh, this Pruneyard case from from 1980 makes sense. Um, and as it happens, the same distinction is the one that is uh, uh, was the centerpiece of my brief in the. Uh, uh, in the 303 creative, uh, okay. because my argument is, look, if somebody's offering website uh, services, this is a, a virtual service. So, you know, there's not even a market, uh, a place you're going to. Um, so if you remember the the uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, case Colorado. a few years ago, well, there was an actual physical bakery. Uh, and the guy, uh, Jack Phillips, said I didn't want to uh, uh, have... Uh, uh, sell uh, wedding cakes for a same-sex uh, wedding. Mm -hmm. You would have to walk about three-tenths of a mile, okay, to another bakery. You can have, a, there's actually a map. Uh, you go to samesexweddings.com uh, uh, or something like that. It's got a list of all these uh, hmm. places uh, willing to, to sell things. So it was a really, really tiny uh, uh, imposition, virtually no uh, limit. I, I would say no limit at all, really, on market access of people seeking wedding cakes for same-sex wedding. But with 303 Creative, there's nothing at all. Because all she's doing, she's just in her in her home and saying, "Hey, send me an email, and I will set up a website for you with such and such a thing." Um, you know, you can send an email to somebody else just as easily. So there's sure. not even the three tenths of a mile. Uh, it seems to me that uh, somebody selling website services, uh, like individually, where you have a market, is nothing at all like a bridge. Yeah. Um, Twitter itself, or Google, or Facebook—that's a lot like a bridge. But uh, the three hundred three creative, uh, uh, Lori Smith, the, uh, the the woman who is involved in, in this litigation, is nothing at all like a bridge. There's just no 
market reason at all. There's no market access you're gaining by forcing a particular marriage traditionalists out of the market. They're the ones who are losing access to the market. Makes so sense. If, you, if you want all Americans to get access to the market, which I think is the right principle, um, uh, it, it just makes no sense to, to, uh, to enforce this other than people not wanting to have uh, marriage traditionalists in these fields, which I think is, is not something uh, the state of Colorado is allowed to care about uh, under, under the 14th amendment. Uh, and you know, the, way that First Amendment free speech principles come into the 14th Amendment. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That's an interesting distinction. So what you're saying is that from a legal perspective, the courts may look at uh, a, a Twitter, for example, as having such a dominant, unique share of the market in what they do that they, they look like a monopoly. They maybe look like a utility company, and therefore perhaps the application of the law might be different in their case. That's what I'm taking for, from that. Uh, you make a great point with uh, the case of of the website developer. Something we said on the program yesterday. It's not like you can't get other developers to do what you're looking for. They're out there, so uh, they, they don't they don't have something proprietary in that case. Uh, don't don't have a, a patent or a franchise. Um, we're the only ones that do websites like this. So before we move on to the case, th- this is the other question I have that comes up, Professor, is so-called hate speech. Who the heck determines what is hate speech? And, and what we're getting now in, in the debate in the public square about Twitter is, oh my gosh, now that Elon Musk has got it, we're going to see this, this, this dramatic increase in hate speech. The problem is that's very subjective. And, and you, you, it seems like you get crossed between, well, what's a pure First Amendment, anybody can say everything they want on this platform, versus, no, we got to have some reasonable limits on that. And maybe hate speech is one of those that some people would like to see, but you can't agree on what's hate speech. How do you deal with that? Yeah, so, I mean, hate speech itself, that's not a category uh, under the First Amendment. Uh, there is an old uh, a term, fighting words, hmm. which are like uh, you go into a bar and you start a fight. Uh, so words <laughs> that uh, are going to cause somebody to imminently engage in violence. Okay, and for a long time, in the 1940s, we had a had a had a case where they say, oh yeah, yeah of course, it's not the not you know the free speech doesn't include the right to uh, start a fight by means of words. Okay, but. Uh, but really the category of hate speech, if you look at the way people use it, they just say, oh, it's it's speech that reflects uh, bad attitudes inside your heart. And, you know, everybody's heart's okay. got some, some bad attitudes. And they, you know, <laughs> so we're human. Angry, but that's not the same as starting a fight uh, yeah. in a bar. Uh, so I think it's a, uh, you know, you have to, really the, the cure for, for th- this kind of thinking is to really look carefully at the tangible circumstances. Uh, you know, the, the idea that certain ideas just by being ideas are violent or are hateful, uh, I think you really shouldn't be looking at that as uh, any kind of justification at all for restricting it. You have to look at tangibly what actually happens. Uh, so you want to, uh, you know, I think it's reasonable to, to think you want to have a sphere where people are not insulting each other, physically confronting people unnecessarily. Uh, but to say, oh, we've got to got to shut down uh, people for uh, 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 you know say, having ideas that are that are bad. 
incitement to imminent lawless action has has always been a traditional uh, uh, ex- exception. So shouting shouting fire in a in a uh, sh- falsely shouting fire in a in a in a theater that that kind of thing. But you really have to look carefully at the actual. Uh, proximity of the action uh, uh, that's involved. Just saying, oh, well, you know, anybody who criticizes uh, certain ideas is just ipso facto hateful. Yeah, uh, That's a very uh, dangerous idea. I think, I mean, frankly, I think it's an idea that is not not the nicest idea itself. Um, uh, it, it has a uh, has a bit of the air of uh, of self-referential incoherence, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And and the problem is, Professor, so many dimensions and aspects of what uh, you know could be construed as so-called hate speech, and and uh, it's not as simple as the yelling fire when there's not one, and and that causes some sort of problem. So uh, it's fascinating, Professor. You're so knowledgeable about these matters, and we really appreciate you coming on uh, on middays and breaking it down for us. And and uh, congratulations on uh, being part of the brief, part of the legal proceedings there with this, uh, what's well, going to be a landmark case, I believe, before it's all said and done. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Enjoyed it. You got it. Midday, Super Top Mississippi, coming right back after the break. Stay with us. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. In the Element Well Studios, we thank you so much for joining us. I tell you what, Rhino, that market kangaroo is hopping up and down. It's about exhausted by this time. The Nasdaq up, the Dow down. Jeez, I still think first half of the year is not going to be good from an economic perspective, but I do expect it to get better in the second half of the year. Something else that happened not getting a lot of attention, and I'm not sure why. Apparently there was a significant oil spill pipeline. Kansas, I think, in a creek. 14,000 barrels, I believe, of the real sour, dirty oil that comes from Canada. This is always the fear, of course, when you're transporting oil, especially across uh, the surface the landscape in in pipes. And here there was a problem. Is that what you see? 14,000? Yeah. Yeah. Kansas, is that right? Okay, so that, this just... I don't like to see this happen either. I don't want to spoil the environment. And again, it's a question of nuance. We should be able to figure out how to construct 
these these uh, transport systems, in this case a pipeline, without this crap happening. And apparently it's spilled in a creek. And I'm not sure how it's what the recovery looks like on something like that. I, I expect there's some sort of systems technology that uh, can be used to recover and clean up the mess. I hope so. Don't want to see that. But the point is, this just puts more arrows in the quiver of the climate change nuts. That's what happens. And we got to do better. Simple as that. This can't happen. You can't stand in front of the country and the world and say, yeah, this is completely, totally safe, and then have this crap happen. Nope. Got to do better. Hmm. So we'll, we'll try to keep tabs on that and see how the cleanup efforts go and what the results are, but we... Latest reporting I've seen says that there's a team of 100 people that's been mobilized by the uh, okay. Canadian TC Energy to begin the cleanup. Okay. Well, I, I hope they're able to do it such that it causes minimal harm to the environment. I mean, it, you know, you can be a conservative and support the fossil fuels industry, but also be an advocate of protecting the environment. But it's got to be within reason. That's why I think we leave we lose it when we confront folks on the left who just want it's binary to them. It's none. All or none. In their case, none. And it's it's crazy. It's overboard. It's stupid. It's destructive. It's harmful. Well, no, that that's the wrong approach. That there there are ways of leveraging the abundance of fossil fuels that God has blessed this country with without harming the environment. In fact, we have done that, if you think about it, through the decades. Again, the result of human innovation, human thought, human problem-solving ability. That's the most precious asset the good Lord gave us all, is that brain. And, and that's how we have dramatically reduced our output of carbon and cleaned up our environment. We have species now that are thriving that previously were not. All of that because of human efforts. And we were able to do that with buck and a half gas not too long ago. Unbelievable. With respect to the case, appreciate Professor Christopher Green coming on the program. He's so knowledgeable about these matters, and I, I enjoy talking to him and getting his his legal perspective. I feel like we're talking to an authority. You know, it's not just us trying to figure it out on our own, but an authority in it. And him having contributed to the this case, which will be a landmark case, filing a brief. Uh, you gotta respect him for that and applaud him for that. It's pretty special. So CNN, though, okay, here, <laughs> here's the CNN headline latest. This is from December 5th, Monday of this week, on this, this issue. Supreme Court conservatives seem to side with a website designer who doesn't want to work with same-sex couples. Could they be any more dramatic and any more open about where they land on that? And so here's the problem. 
why is the First Amendment, why do we somehow, when we get into issues here, it's debated from the perspective of the conservative view versus the liberal view? Why is that even an issue? It, it shouldn't be faceted like that. It should be down the line. And, but no, in this case, once again, we're holding up this particular group, which you've already made clear is a teeny tiny fraction of the population, relatively speaking. We're giving them special attention. So it's not a matter of applying the Constitution to all Americans here. We've got to divide them into groups, because that, too, by the way, is a key tenet of Marxism. Now, they'll say, oh, Gerard, you're crazy. If not Marxist, well, why do you keep showing you're practicing it? Because it is. So, Supreme Court conservatives, this shouldn't even be a conservative issue. And the professor makes a great point. You said it yesterday on the show. It ain't like they can't get somebody else to do this. So, I've, I've always been told in my business career, whenever I had legal matters, which, thank God, were very few and far between, and talking to the lawyers, two things that stuck with me was apply the reasonableness test. Okay, that's number one. And two is, did somebody get hurt here? Was there some harm? Well, when you want a website... And you got a gazillion other choices besides this particular one. You can still get the end product you seek. You hadn't been harmed. Just go do it. Inconvenience does not equal harm. Right. Exactly. And I wouldn't even say it's inconvenience. I'd say they went, if you think about it, and they picked these people out knowing they wouldn't do it so they could make a stink about it. Because that's what they do. I want the whole world to know, to know how oppressed I've been. It's back to that feelings deal. It's right back to it. Feelings and intersectionality are more important to Democrats and leftists than the rule of law and reality. It's taking this country down. That right there is taking this country down. And so, to be clear, I don't care if they're same-sex couple. I, you want to... Uh, uh, be partners, get married, whatever. Honestly, I don't care. You want to have a website? Don't care. Knock yourself out. But don't sue somebody because they don't want to accommodate you. That's nuts. So, you know, and you've heard this response before, this comparison before. What, what if it were a, a company engaged in these same services owned by a same-sex couple, and they refuse to do it for a Christian. I mean, would that make its way to the Supreme Court? Can you imagine the outrage from the left on that? You can't even comprehend it. I told you about one time I hosted a lunch, and I brought in, thinking I was helping by buying lunch for folks, and I brought in Chick-fil-A, and I got yelled at by the people in the room who did not care for Chick-fil-A because of their roots in 
in Christian values, and, and these happen to be two gay people who I respected, did great work. But they got all. Well, how sad does one's life have to be that you forego probably the best chicken sandwich on the market <laughs> just because the CEO has a differing opinion? It's. I mean, it's that's again, a miserable life to live. Well, again, was there harm there? No. Nobody's losing their job, not getting paid, <laughs> being assigned to bad work or anything like that. That's what's important. Not a chicken sandwich. Can't you separate the two? It's just lunch. Oh, my God. Hey, look, we do it on the right, too. Let's face it. Oh, my gosh. Can't do business with them. They're this, that, and the other. And the fact is, well, then you'll find, you'll be looking. You won't find anybody that 100% aligns with your views and your values. I support your right, but keep looking. Because purity, the, what we're looking for sometimes in society, it doesn't exist, and it shouldn't. That's what makes the country great. It's the diversity, the melting pot of our culture. Coming right back with a final segment on Middays in the Element Well Studios. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. In the Element Well Studio, Super Talk Mississippi, the final segment here on midday. So, Rhino, somebody said we don't know what we're doing here. We're the most, well, what do you say here? You guys are the two most misinformed radio shows ever. Okay. Uh, said, tell Rhino, give one example of kindergartner, kindergarten teacher showing dildos and butt plugs to students. Well, I guess he wasn't listening when we played the audio of the Dean of Students, Joseph Bruno, from Francis W. Parker Private School, which is pre-K through 12th grade, bragging about showing butt plugs and dildos to students. That's right. Now, whether or not that went all the way down to kindergarten, I don't honestly know, but it doesn't really matter. What we do know is that in kindergarten, they are, in fact, uh, having conversations with four- and five-year-olds about questioning their gender. That is true. And telling them that the nuclear family is privilege and all kinds of other garbage like that from the race side of things. That is absolutely happening from kindergarten on up. There is no doubt about that. And in, in, in teaching all of this gender identification stuff, it's, it's what Ron DeSantis essentially pushed into law to ban discussion of sexual orientation and, and sexual identity uh, into kindergarten through fifth grade. I mean, it's what, of course, the left was outraged. Can't say gay in the classroom. No, that's not what it says. 
Why do we even have to talk about that at that age? I, I mean, what did we do in school before we talked about that? Why are we over-sexualizing education? You don't have to talk about that. Leave it alone. They'll figure it out in time. That's discussions that should be had with parents in their home, in the privacy of their home, as they get exposed to adulthood, honestly. But at that age, just let them be kids, my gosh. They don't want to deal with all this, these difficult, thorny topics. You people are sick that want to foist this on kids. You're selfish is what you are. You're selfish. And then this love bombing, I'm blown away by that. I had no idea. No idea. And Manipulative look, and abusive. You want to know why we have, honestly, this uh, near epidemic of teenage pregnancies? One of the reasons is that happens. Same deal. Love bombs. Oh, well, I got to get pregnant so they'll do a shower and a party for me and and uh, heap all this praise and and uh, adoration on me, fawning, lauding, no doubt. We've just, we've lost our compass for sure. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing good about a, a 10th grader getting pregnant. There's just nothing good about that. And as we've said so many times before, statistically, with evidence-based data as the Smart folks like to say they got a much lower chance of succeeding in life. It's just not a doubt. And the expectation is, well, we'll just dump them on society. They'll take care of them. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work. Man, oh, man. They knew they couldn't get the adults, so they go after the kids. William and Greenville, no doubt. William, it's what we were saying earlier. Kids in general, they... they even when they don't have proper parenting in the home, in general, they want to believe adults. You just do. How many people were taught in elementary school that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree? Yeah. It's not true. It was right. a myth made up in the early 1800s to lionize the founding fathers. That's exactly right. But you learned it and you believed it you because believed your it. teacher taught it to you. No doubt about it. And you know what? We should. Our children should be able to. If, but what's if a, more dangerous, a little white lie about the Founding Fathers lionizing them or trying to tell a seven-year-old that they need to be a different gender because the teacher needs to be reaffirmed in their bad decisions? There's no comparison. Absolutely no comparison. It's, it's sick. It's crazy. And again, you're an adult. i got to make it clear. Knock yourself out. Don't care. Have at it. Just stay away from the kids with it, man. Let them be kids. Let them live that short period of their life where everything is supposed to be fun and happy and you're not supposed to have to wrestle with and grapple with and anguish over these thorny, complicated adult problems and issues. Gosh, can't we just protect our kids in that way? 
We're out of time here today. Please have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Until Monday, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.